Welcome back to WWC. I'm your host, Will Wright. Today we're answering the question, does Jesus call us to be social justice warriors? Is this what we're supposed to be? There's a lot of Catholics on uh, both sides of the political aisle, so to speak, uh, that claim that they have the right interpretation of Catholic social teaching. And so I thought it would be fruitful, hopefully, to, to go through the seven themes of Catholic social teaching and then figure out, okay, how do we take these principles, these themes, and then apply them to concrete situations in our lives and as we order uh, the social and political sphere as well. A lot of ink has been spilled on various perspectives to this topic, so I don't plan on making everybody uh, agree with me, but I hope that the distinctions that I'm offering are helpful. I hope that they're good ones because distinctions are the spice of life. And if uh, you're just joining us for the first time on Will Wright Catholic, uh, that's what we're all about. We're, we're trying to find the best distinctions possible to have even better conversations and grow closer to the truth, especially to our Lord Jesus Christ. What are the seven themes of Catholic social teaching? Well, let's begin with this. Human beings are social by nature. We don't live in isolation. Put another way, we're not saved by ourselves. The, the way that God has ordered the church and, and ordered our society is that we need one another. We need community. We need others to lift us up, to call us out, and uh, to make us better. And the teachings of the church regarding good social ordering spring truly from the heart of Christ. It's not that we suddenly just sort of come up with these ideas and go, oh, we're making progress. We're going to be better in our society. Anything that, that moves us forward closer to heaven is a direct, uh, a direct causation from our focusing on Jesus Christ and trying to be more like him and letting our actions arise from his own sacred heart. Because we are called to holiness, but this call requires cooperation. We need to receive his grace and then cooperate, not only individually, but also with those around us in order to be authentic followers of Jesus Christ. Now, to understand how we're to order our society, we need to heed Catholic social teaching. Uh, the U.S. bishops, the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, offers us seven themes of Catholic social teaching. The first is the life and dignity of the human person. The second is the call to family, community, and participation. The third is rights and responsibilities. The fourth is the option for the poor and vulnerable. Fifth, the dignity of work and the rights of workers. Sixth, solidarity. And seventh, care for God's creation. Now, to his disciples, Jesus says this in Matthew 25, 40. He says, Amen, I say to you, whatever you did for one of the least brothers of mine, you did for me. He also says in verse 45, what you did not do for one of these least ones, you did not do for me. So this implies that there must be actions taken by the members of the body of Christ in each of the seven themes of Catholic social teaching. So is Jesus therefore asking us to be social justice warriors? Do we need to take on one of the themes as sort of a pet project? Or do, are we expected individually to try to tackle all seven at once? Well, some in the church fight for the dignity of life. Others might focus more on stewardship of the environment. 
Now, both of these actions out of love are out of love of Christ and his creation. However, what I hope we'll see in their examination is two things. First, that all seven themes of Catholic social teaching are important. They are vital. They are necessary. But two, they must be prioritized. There is a prioritization. And so at the end of this episode, I'm going to kind of offer my take on what a good priority of this would be. And I hope that there's some merit to the way that I uh, have organized it. But let's walk through these seven themes and just sort of break them apart first, because we need to understand our terms. So first, the life and dignity of the human person. Human life is created in the image and likeness of God. Therefore, each person has dignity and a right to life from the moment of conception in the womb until they draw their final breath. Human life is sacred, which means it's been set apart. The church fills out this meaning by calling us even further to our supernatural end, to heaven, to sainthood. Human life is under direct attack in our society, both locally, nationally, and globally, and the evils of abortion and euthanasia, which are unacceptable under any circumstance. There's also the threat to the value of life from embryonic stem cell research, cloning, and the imprudent use of the death penalty. There's unjust wars, acts of terrorism, and acts of violence in our world. Just turn on the news on any given day, and we can see the attacks on human life and dignity. Catholic social teaching exhorts nations to find peaceful solutions to disputes whenever possible. However, a nation or an individual has the right and obligation to protect innocent human life when it's threatened. The preservation of innocent human life is a principle that's contained in this theme of the life and dignity of the human person. The second theme, the call to family, community, and participation. In the year 1960, um, was that 62 years ago, the global divorce rate was 12%. And divorce is a violence to a couple because marriage is a lifelong union. There's no such thing as a clean divorce. Someone is always harmed. And for this reason, the church does tenderly reach out to those who have suffered divorce to offer the healing of Christ. But just a few years ago, the global divorce rate was 44%, which is a huge increase from 12%. In the United States, the rate is 46%, 42% in the United Kingdom, and 38% in Australia, which means in the United States of America, at least a few years ago, uh, 46% of marriages ended in divorce. And that's true uh, for Catholics and non-Catholics alike. It's about half of marriages. And so with such high divorce rates, it's not uncommon to see broken families. Now, Catholic social teaching upholds that the person is sacred, but that person is also social. Our economics, our politics, our laws, policies, social institutions, they must therefore defend marriage and the family. Without the family being at the core, these social institutions will erode and eventually break apart. And unfortunately, this is what we're seeing in our community a lot of the times. Uh, these days. With crumbling families, the need for community has become even more important. And it's our obligation as Catholics to reach out to our fellow man, especially the poor and vulnerable. And all are called, regardless of race, religion, or ethnicity, to seek the common good. 
Our participation in our community, as Catholics especially, is not negotiable. We need our brothers and sisters, and they need us. Our world has become increasingly isolated, which is contrary to God's design for us as individuals and as a society. In his writing for Tutti not too long ago, Pope Francis uh, said that we have, we have lost the taste of fraternity and gorged ourselves on networking. Uh, I think I got that backwards. But anyway, the sentiment is that we're so focused on networking to get ahead in our job or whatever else we might be doing. But we forget about fraternity. We forget about brotherhood. As a result of this individualism that's being pushed to the extreme and this isolation, rates of mental illness and suicide have skyrocketed. As Catholics, we ought to be breath uh, for these communities. We ought to breathe life into our communities in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. The third theme, rights and responsibilities. For communities to thrive and uphold the dignity of human life, rights must be protected and responsibilities met. Pope St. John XXIII enumerates these rights in his work Pachem in Terrace in paragraph 11. He says, we must speak of man's rights. Man has a right to live. He has the right to bodily integrity and to the means proper, means necessary for the proper development of life particularly food, clothing, shelter, medical care, rest, and finally, the necessary social services. In consequence, he has the right to be looked after in the event of ill health, disability stemming from his work, widowhood, old age, enforced unemployment, or whenever through no fault of his own, he is deprived of the means of livelihood. So every natural right begins with the right to life. Because without life, there are no other rights. The natural rights listed by Pope St. John XXIII lead to the duty of the state and individuals to protect the rights of others. There's also a responsibility to use these rights well in the service of God and man. We're not free to do whatever we please. We are free to choose the good. This is how rights and responsibilities go together. They're two sides of the same coin. Which brings us to the fourth theme, the option for the poor and vulnerable. When we look especially over the last century at nations ravaged by communism, there's an ever-widening gap between the super-rich and the ultra-poor. In areas, areas of unfettered capitalism and many types of socialism, there's likewise a disappearing middle class, in other words, societies that don't care for the poor and vulnerable tend to lead to the poor getting poorer and the rich getting richer. The Catholic Church has always upheld the call of Christ himself to the corporal works of mercy, to caring for the poor and the vulnerable. Um, and these needs have to be met by us, by the people closest to these others. And this is called the preferential option for the poor. So practically, we need to ask ourselves, do I feed the hungry? Do I give drink to the thirsty? Do I welcome the stranger, clothe the naked, care for the ill, visit the imprisoned, and bury the dead? And notice I'm saying, do I? It's not enough for our parish to do these things. In one way or another, we will be individually judged by God on whether we personally contributed to these efforts in service of Christ, according to the circumstances of our own lives. When we were greeted with someone in our immediate sight, who is thirsty or hungry or a stranger or naked or imprisoned, do we do what's necessary to serve them as Christ calls us to?
The fifth theme, the dignity of work and the rights of workers. Work has dignity because it's a participation in the creation of God. Further, economies exist to serve the people in a society. We don't work simply to make money. We shouldn't, anyway. If work has dignity, then the rights of workers should be protected. The U.S. bishops summarize this quite well in their document on a Catholic framework for economic life. They say this, All people have the right to economic initiative, to productive work, to just wages and benefits, to decent working conditions, as well as to organize and join unions or other associations. The sixth theme, solidarity. All of our earthly fathers, our biological fathers, our adoptive fathers, whatever they might be, they share in the fatherhood of God. They're sort of icon of our heavenly father. And our father in heaven has called us his own children, sons and daughters, through the waters of baptism. Therefore, in Christ, we are all brothers and sisters. We become co-heirs to the kingdom. Beyond our own belonging to the mystical body of Christ, we also share in our one creator. So even those who are not baptized are still kin to us in some way through the human race. We all belong to one human family, regardless of nation, race, ethnicity, economic or ideological differences. Now, recent technological shifts and globalization have made this reality clearer, uh, but as an aside, while unfortunately undermining solidarity in key ways. But that's a whole other episode, and we're not getting into that today. The fact is, we're all connected as human beings. Our solidarity with one human family spurs us to pursue truth and justice and peace. And in the midst of sufferings, especially violence and conflict, we're called to the church to work for peace in solidarity with one another. And the seventh, seventh theme, care for God's creation. Our Holy Father, Pope Francis, followed suit after Pope St. John Paul II and Pope Benedict XVI, and he wrote beautifully on the care for our common home in his work, Laudato Si. Now, there's some things in there that I don't personally agree with. The Pope asks us to stop using air conditioning. I live in Phoenix. That's uh, not going to happen. But there's a lot of beautiful stuff in the document. So in the document, he writes this in paragraph 159 of Laudato Si. He says, once we start to think about the kind of world we are leaving to future generations, we look at things differently. We realize that the world is a gift, which we have freely received and must share with others. Since the world has been given to us, we can no longer view reality in a purely utilitarian way in which efficiency and productivity are entirely geared to our individual benefit. So caring for God's creation is part and parcel of the Catholic life. In our often throwaway culture, we realize that the environment is impacted by wastefulness, even our own wastefulness, and the dignity of human life is impacted by a disregard for the poor, who often are most affected by ecological uh, issues. Everything in God's creation is connected in some way through God being the creator, and we must seek to serve God and our fellow man in all things. Recognizing, of course, our dignity as human beings, given stewardship by God from the beginning, uh, setting Adam above the animals to name them and care for them and to till the, to the, till the Garden of Eden. We are stewards of creation. It's a great gift. 
but also a, a, a duty, something that we need to do. So how do we actually go about applying these principles to our lives? Because these themes, these principles, uh, all need to be held at the same time. So how do we actually instantiate them? Well, over the course of history, there, there's been hundreds of different cultures, customs, circumstances, political systems, and so forth. And it stands to reason that the practical instantiation of these principles will vary due to the tangible situation of a particular time, people, and place. Now, the seven themes of Catholic social teaching generally fall under the unflinching category of faith and morals. Faith and moral teachings have been infallibly declared by the teaching authority of the church, and they apply to all places, times, peoples, and circumstances. This means that Catholics of goodwill are not at liberty to disagree on these central teachings of the church in principle. But the key distinction is principle versus application. See, Catholic political and social engagement or tangible application of principles can be called prudential judgment. Prudential judgment is making decisions in line with the faith and moral principles and teachings of the church using the virtue of prudence. The Catechism of the Catholic Church in 1806, uh, paragraph 1806, says this. Prudence is the virtue that disposes practical reason to discern our true good in every circumstance and to choose the right means of achieving it. The prudent man looks where he is going. So prudential judgment takes practice, takes listening to God and being formed in the principles of Catholic teaching and the other teachings of faith and morals of the church, of course. The solutions Catholics may take on uh, social welfare systems, minimum wage, immigration, uh, gun control, and other political issues will vary from person to person, and they can vary from person to person. Further, what works well in one area of the world may be wholly inappropriate in another locale. Rarely is anything black and white. I mean, you can look at um, healthcare as an example of this. What might work really well for the tiny state of Rhode Island might not work so well in a large populated state like California. Now, I'm not getting into the politics of those two locales, but you can see how just geographically, just looking at the people, the system that would work well would look very different. And so this is where we take the principles and apply them. And rarely is anything black and white. Usually there's a solution which borrows from one side and another. Uh, and this is the perennial Catholic both and position rather than an either or. And a reminder that we need both conservative and liberal forces, quote unquote, in the application of principles. We need one another. Again, we live in a society where people have different perspectives, different priorities, and we need to have that dialogue to be able to discern what is actually the best way forward, focused on the common good. Nobody has the full picture. Conservatives, generally speaking, are really good at making borders and boxes and walls, which we need to stay safe and to stay secure and to make sure that our traditions don't slip away. But the liberals are, and notice I'm saying liberal in the classical sense, not leftists. I don't think we need leftists actually at all. But liberals uh, are really good at pushing out boundaries, taking down walls, 
but what if we only had a liberal perspective? We, we'd kind of be a free-floating blob, just sort of rolling around everywhere. Well, what would happen if we were only conservative? We'd, we'd have boxes for our boxes inside the boxes while we had boxes. Uh, we'd be super highly organized, but everyone would be super isolated from one another. But when you have this exchange of conservative and liberal ideas and forces, faithful to the church, faithful to the principles of the church and the moral and faith teachings of the church, then in the application of principles, we'll get a much more measured approach. So in the application of the seven themes of Catholic social teaching, it's important to prioritize because we just can't tackle all seven at once. It's a team effort. But we must let the Lord lead the way. We can't think of any of the seven themes as pet projects because we are a church of Christ, not a church of causes. I'm going to say that again because it's probably the most important thing in this whole episode. We are a church of Jesus Christ, not a church of causes. So the trick then becomes who decides the prioritization? Well, the key principle we need to utilize here is subsidiarity. To make the best decision possible, the church often employs the organizing principle of subsidiarity. Basically, this principle states that the best decisions for a local community are made at the same time at the lowest possible level and the highest level necessary. And we're going to explain what that means here. So if we're looking, uh, let's give the example of the hierarchy of the church. The Pope makes decisions ideally based on the common good of the whole church on earth. Whereas a local bishop makes decisions usually in his own particular geographical area or diocese. Likewise, a pastor in a parish represents his bishop and makes decisions for his own parish in his own parish boundaries. So if something needs to be decided for a parish, ideally it's the pastor making the decision with the people. It's not the Pope saying to this particular parish, you have to do this or don't do this. Um, same thing with the bishop. Unless there's something that's going against faith and morals or causing someone to sin, generally governance belongs to the lowest possible level, but the highest level necessary. So that's in the hierarchy. But I think subsidiarity is best shown by the family, the foundational cell of society. Since parents make decisions for their family, especially their children, Ideally, without overreach from the local, state, or federal government. Not that the federal government or the state government, even local governments, ever overreach. I can't think of a possible example from March 2020 until now. Anyway, moving on. Subsidiarity dictates that if the family has the power to make and implement decisions, then they alone should do so. The family makes decisions with other families at the local community level and the parish level. And if the decision needs broader input, then it might fall to the state or eventually to the federal government. So practically an example of something that might take federal reach would be something like border security or a standing military. These are, this is, uh, a federal level is necessary because they're out of the reach of smaller levels of governance, whether they be individual, family, community, or state. If an entity has proper authority and they are closest to the situation, they ought to make the decision. But they have to have the ability to follow through on the decision. 
Pope Pius XI illustrates this principle and safeguards the diversity of humanity and richness of her talents when he says this. It is gravely wrong to take from individuals what they can accomplish by their own initiative and industry and give it to the community. So also it's an injustice and at the same time a grave evil and disturbance of right order to assign to a greater and higher association what lesser and subordinate organizations can do. So this is the, the all-important principle of subsidiarity. Subsidiarity is always ordered to the common good, however. This means that governments have the solemn responsibility to create the conditions of human flourishing by allowing for subsidiarity to be a guiding principle. The proper authorities must be ready to provide the resources and direction necessary to direct the community to the common good. Each individual has something to offer and ought to be engaged in their own welfare as well. Uh, Pope Benedict XVI puts it this way. He says in uh, Caritatis Veritate, uh, in paragraph 57, subsidiarity respects personal dignity by recognizing in the person a subject who is always capable of giving something to others. So subsidiarity really transcends any political system or political affiliation. This guiding principle represents the great Catholic both and. We have an obligation to the poor and vulnerable and to maintain the dignity and productivity of all people. In other words, subsidiarity must be linked to the principle of Catholic social teaching of solidarity. If we have subsidiarity without solidarity, society becomes disconnected and privatized to the extreme. If we have solidarity but no subsidiarity, then society, as Pope Benedict says, gives way to paternalistic social assistance that is demeaning to those in need. Now, a proper prioritization of Catholic social teaching will therefore apply the principle of subsidiarity. If human dignity is under attack by abortion and euthanasia, then that seems to take first priority. And so now I'll give you kind of my prioritization. So first, protecting human dignity is the preeminent issue to address because without life, no other right matters, and it's manifestly opposed to the common good of all. Which leads us to number two. We must shore up the family as the cell of society. Doing so, we, we are led to number three. Our families must work together to secure the rights of those around us and fulfill our responsibilities to one another. Which then brings us to number four. In justice, the virtuous pursuit of rights and responsibilities must have a preferential option for the poor who must never be forgotten and must be brought further into the community as circumstances allowed. And then that brings us to number five. A community needs participation, but specifically in the form of dignified work and the rights of workers, which must be protected. Further, our society... Uh, brings, this brings us to number six. Further, our society, uh, now solidly functioning at the local level, must never lose sight of solidarity, our interconnectedness. And to some extent, this will extend to our state and nation and the whole world. Which finally brings us to the seventh theme in our priority list. While accomplishing all of these things, we must do our part to care for God's creation as good stewards. 
So as presented here, the themes of Catholic social teaching are not at odds with one another. They're not pet projects. God may call us to emphasize one or the other more prominently in our own work or ministry. But hopefully from the way I organized it, you can see what I mean by the importance of prioritizing the themes as well. They build upon one another like a building. You may think that the theme should be taken all at once, kind of like what's known as the seamless garment theory. But this approach does not take into account that a prioritized layering is necessary, nor does it do justice to the necessary principle of subsidiarity. Ultimately, the seamless garment hypothesis does not do justice to Catholic social teaching in practice. Generally, this idea of the seamless garment, uh, which comes from Cardinal Bernadin, is where Catholics, well-intentioned as they might be, go off the rails and become SJWs or or so-called social justice warriors. But again, we're not a church of causes. We're a church of Jesus Christ. The Lord calls us to practice justice in society, but it has to be done in a prudent way, respecting the principle of subsidiarity. So no, we are not called to be social justice warriors. What we are called to do is serve Jesus Christ in everyone that we come in contact with, beginning with our, ourselves and our own family, and then allowing that to ripple out to our community, prioritizing first and foremost that human dignity must be protected, the right to life must be protected, the family must be taken seriously as the cell of society. We have rights, but those rights have responsibilities. We need to never forget the poor. We need to make sure that work is dignified and that the rights of workers are protected. We must never lose sight of the fact that we are in solidarity with one another And all the while, we must take care of God's creation as good stewards. This is how we can live the seven themes of Catholic social teaching and apply them uh, to our lives in a very particular way at a particular time under particular circumstances. We take those principles and then we apply them prudently. Well, thanks so much for joining us this week on WWC. I know it's a bit longer Uh, than the episodes normally go, but I hope that it's been a a helpful or educational uh, walkthrough of Catholic social teaching to you. If you've enjoyed this, please share it with others. Share it on your social media, email it out, text it. Uh, Whatever you can do to share it at least once uh, would be a huge help and that would grow the audience tremendously. Uh, So please do that for me. Uh, But Thanks so much for listening. And if you have any feedback, you can always send it to will.write.catholic at gmail.com. And if you haven't signed up for uh, my Substack, where I have the written versions of these and the podcasts, you can go to willwritecatholic.substack.com to sign up. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next week. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, now and ever and forever. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.